Hey, this is Alfred Edmund, SVP Executive Editor at Large at Black Enterprise with another edition of Your Money, Your Life, our series on all things financial wellness. This episode of Your Money, Your Life is brought to you by Prudential, a 50-year partner of Earl Grave Sr. in his mission of creating sustainable generational wealth in the Black community. Find out why more than 25 million people turn to Prudential for guidance on building a legacy. Learn more at prudential.com slash legacy. Welcome to the show, everybody. We all are dealing with a tremendous amount of financial anxiety. Actually, that may be our normal state, but in this current environment with a pandemic, with an election, with people losing jobs, people working jobs at home while educating kids and maybe taking care of an elderly relative, the stress levels are even higher and the anxiety is even higher with the uncertainty that we're dealing with. I have the perfect, perfect guest to have a conversation about how we cope with this. Please welcome to the show, Shani Curry St. Beal, founder, purse empowerment, author, 10 things every woman should keep in her purse. Shani, Shani, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you. It's always a pleasure to um, communicate with you. We always uh, come up with some better ways to relate to money and um, better ways to communicate with others about the healthy things that we're doing with our money. So thank you very much for creating this space. Yeah, I mean, uh, when, I, when I thought about this topic, I thought about you because you, you and I have had many conversations uh, about this issue, I mean, besides this current environment, because you're one of the experts that really recognizes the emotion in the, around attached to our relationship with money, that, mm-hmm. uh, that how it affects how we view money, how we see ourselves, how we, how, how we feel about life and ourselves, and then how that affects the habits that we have, whether they're good or bad, and, and, and making money decisions. Talk to me a little bit, let's go back a little bit so our, our, our audience can get a feel for your approach to your expertise. Um, talk about the book that I re- re- reviewed for blackenterprise.com, 10 Things Everyone Should Keep in Her Purse, but also talk about how you came to this space as a, a financial expert, as someone who talks about this, um, on, on a regular basis with clients and others. Okay, so um, my book, 10 Things Every Woman Should Keep in Her Purse, uh, was written now a decade ago. And I wrote the book in terms of being able to create very relatable language for women to be able to connect with um, their purses beyond um, the status symbol that it can um, suggest on their behalves without them opening their mouth. So the book is called 10 Things Every Woman Should Keep in Her Purse uh, that leads you back towards your financial journey. Uh, that is the work that I've been doing uh, with women specifically over the last decade, helping them to um, create home ownership, improve their credit score, uh, create their first $10,000 and then moving on to $100,000. So I've enjoyed that work deeply. Uh, what I have found um, even more rewarding as I've been doing that work for a decade and just helping people materialize these things that they have in their mind would like to accomplish, whether it be the house, the dog, the condo, the boat, uh, the award. Um, the, the greater challenge is being able to help them heal their relationship with money because uh, in the clients that I work with whose incomes range anywhere from $45,000 to $250,000, uh, what I 
find that they often disconnect from is the relationship that they have with their money. Like what makes them buy a thing? What creates this excessive nature? What stops you from investing in the market? What makes you hoard money when you should be connecting to opportunity? What's still in your retirement age has you competing with your siblings and robbing you <laughs> of your income and some of your um, legacy, you know? Uh, so those are the type of conversations that I am really triggering people to have um, specifically mm -hmm. in this time. You know, I think that um, while we need to focus on our health, uh, I think that we need to focus on how we think about, create, generate, and share wealth, and how that plays a huge role in our emotional health. That's Again, that's why you're the perfect person to have this conversation mm -hmm. with. Uh, yes. Fast forward to the present. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, everything you just, you just described is part of the everyday normal yeah. challenges of navigating our financial lives. Now we layer on everything that, and I'm not even going to go through the list of the multiple pandemics um, that we're, we're dealing with as a nation, um, as Black people, as Black families, as women, Black women. What, have you, what are you finding now, both you know, in terms of what you're observing around you and what your clients are coping with that may be even above and beyond the normal things that you have to work with them on? Okay, so what I am, what a lot of, um, a lot of my clients are, are having to deal with amid the cash flow challenges are the relational challenges that are creating cash flow challenges, right? So interesting enough, while we do, we cannot really embrace escapism, rather escapism is stemming from being able to go to work, going to happy hour, hanging out in the club. A lot of those things are really minimized at this time. So for those that were in relationships that were not necessarily healthy, um, they are now having to be forced to deal with those relationships. Those relationships are not only being challenged on the spousal level, but they're also being challenged on the communal level because we're just having to spend more time with spouses, friends, mates, all of that connectivity is creating challenges. So I work with my clients in terms of some of them needing to save money um, for their survival, right? Because they may be in an mm -hmm. abusive relationship. Um, so now they're having to save money so that they can now um, get their own, you know, own apartments, purchase their own homes. Uh, so things like safety um, and mental health are really driving how people relate to money. Um, how they share money is creating um, challenges as well because when there's a, an abundance of resources, oftentimes we kind of turn a blind eye to overspending, but when we have to kind of watch our cash flow a little bit because we cannot, you know, while there is some level of prediction available to us, there's still a little bit of fear and anxiety that's being, you know, inserted into us just you know, from the election, uh, just from um, looking at death tolls, you know, and just knowing maybe you're, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend has passed away from COVID. So that noise on the outside is having an impact on habits, habits from going to the grocery store, 
overspending. Um, I'm seeing some of my clients, while they cannot um, go to maybe the bar, happy hour, they're taking these trips, right, that they cannot necessarily afford. Um, granted, you know, it is a little bit less expensive to travel at this time, but when you're looking at that in terms of where they are within their relationship and how that cash flow is kind of being stagnated by this you know, random travel and what that does to their overall financial picture, I'm finding that um, relationships are having a huge impact on how money is being related to at this time. That is such an important point. It's a point that, that I've stressed um, often in the past five mm -hmm. years as I, I draw the connection between relationship health, mental wellness, and financial decision-making. I mean, behavioral finance is something I'm passionate about. I won't say I'm an expert in, but it's mm -hmm. so important to recognize that how you feel is going to impact your relationships and how you, you feel about your relationships is going to have a direct impact on how money is used or abused in a, in a household, you know, especially among the, uh, if there's two income earners, or at least two people who have decisions, um, mm -hmm. decision-making power over what happens to those resources. But often kids have as much, you know, decision-making power as parents. So if you don't have a, a real grip on the emotional forces that's affecting everyone in the household, um, then you, you can lose your grip on control of, of the money and making sure it's going where you want it to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned something about the children. So interesting enough with children, even when they don't have, you know, uh, purchasing power, they do have power as it relates to influence, right? So they have the ability to influence what you purchase, you know, based on their disappointment level, based on this reward-based thinking that they may be, you know, kind of shaped to embrace through society. So uh, yeah, they, they, they play a large role in that as well. So I am um, working with uh, a lot of my clients from the standpoint of analyzing their budget and asking, okay, why, you know, we set a budget for you to eat out this month in the amount of $200. Why, when I look at what you said you were going to spend versus what you actually spent, why is what you actually spent $1,900, right? Wow. Why are you spending so much money on food, right? And you say to me, I, you know, I can't stay in the home. I can't cook in my kitchen. It is too, you know, there's too much noise. There's too much arguing. So in order for me to feed my children in the healthiest, quickest way, I have to do that outside. Mm -hmm. It's just easier for me to eat in a restaurant. It's just easier for me, you know, to go out. And then, so when I look at that, right, I have to let you look at the statistical data to say, look at what you're doing, like $1,900, you know, you could actually, you know, save up for a house, you know, you've done this for three months, you know, if you decided that you need to move out of this relationship, you need to maybe eat sandwiches for a period of time, because if you feel, you know, so emotionally um, stressed by, you know, who you live with, who you share space with, instead of milking your budget, keep eating out, keep spending money in hotels, maybe just curb that for a period of time, because I'm looking at your behaviors for three months, you can take this money and maybe, you know, put a down payment or something, um, use this money to, you know, maybe you need a temporary rental, maybe you need an Airbnb, like, 
but they just have to see the data so that the data begins to influence their behavior because oftentimes, because there's such a detachment between what they swipe and what they live, they can't see it until, you know, I show it to them so that they can see how your emotional, you know, situation is creating a financial situation and you're not putting yourself in the best position to grow. You know, another phenomenon I'd like you to comment on, and I've, I've had several financial experts on the show talk about this during the past year, is, um, you know, people are isolated. Um, like I said, they may be able to go out, they may not be able to go out, but it's easy to get on your phone or get on your computer and order from Amazon and get the thrill of a box coming to your house every day or every other day to the point where it's not even about what's in the box anymore. It's just having something to look forward to. You go outside and it's like Christmas because there's something on your step. And, and, and yeah. you know, that is, you know, people's budgets are spinning out of control because it's just too easy to, I mean, I have Amazon Prime, you hit it, next day it's, it's at your house. Talk, yeah. I mean, you're seeing that among your client base. Yes, um, I do. I get to look at because the way how I get to analyze data is it's not just by the amounts, it's, it's where. Right. So if the expense, you know, I probably will look over 50 bucks, but like if I see your Amazon at $300, $400, and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, well, you know, what did you buy? You know, why, why did you buy this? You know, and then I get to hear the stories behind why they bought it and, you know, what they're going to use it. And sometimes after we kind of go through an experience, let's say, for instance, if it's the same client habitually, you know, spending this three, $400 on Amazon, I will make them like, okay, what did you buy? And just the experience of listing what you actually bought. Sometimes I can get them to return things, especially if there's duplication in what it is that they have been buying, you know, like, okay, you bought five rows, sis. Okay. You bought eight pairs of shoes. You know, you're really not going anywhere. What is this about? Is this about your boredom? Is this about your need for entertainment? Do you need a challenge? Is this what this behavior is? So seeing it right is believing it because sometimes you can't see you, you know, you can't see how you're just, you know, just swiping you, you can't see it. So you need to be able to let yourself you know, look at the information that you're creating for yourself. So you can do something else with the money. That's, that's a great point. Listen, stick it right there. I just want to hit this host read. This episode of Your Money, Your Life is brought to you by Prudential, a 50-year partner of Earl Graves Sr. and his mission of creating sustainable generational wealth in the Black community. During that time, Prudential and Black Enterprise have collaborated to promote the personal and societal benefits of career, entrepreneurship, and money management. Today, as both new and continuing challenges present themselves, Prudential is committed to helping people build lasting legacies. Visit prudential.com legacy to learn more. Okay, Shani, now I, I wanna get to what I've been really waiting for because this is the newest thing. I mean, I follow you on social, so you know I'm paying attention to what you're doing. Talk to me about money therapy and what that, what that is and what you're doing and, 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 and how, uh, what, what you learned that could be a benefit to our audience. Uh, so essentially, uh, the largest part of money therapy that um, I enjoy when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with my clients is getting them to see. I believe that your eyes have the power to really heal you. So for some of my clients that are challenged by this excessive Amazon spending, one of the things that I will encourage them to do is I will have them to count items um, that they've purchased. 
shit. So one of my clients, she, um, she went through a divorce and for whatever reason, because of it, she started overspending excessively. Right. And one of the things that she liked to do was buy jewelry. She was buying an excessive amount of jewelry. So the way how I got or encouraged her to uh, reduce her spending when it came to, you know, buying jewelry is I had her to count how many necklaces she had. So when she counted the necklaces that she had, she actually had 88 necklaces, right? She needed to see her obsession. She needed to see, you know, what it is that she was bringing within her, you know, this excessive need to just consume and consume and how even with all of the necklaces that she had, she was no happier, you know, than when she bought them and when she did not have them, you know? So her being able to see that. I also had her to count the amount of shoes that she had just so that she can see you have two feet, yet you have this amount of shoes, right? So just um, looking at what it is that you have, it allows you to see your abundance. It allows you to experience it just by counting. So uh, that's one of the things that I encourage uh, those that feel that they are not a good steward of their money because they are just, you know, high on consumerism. And that means you're kind of disconnected from how much you already have. Just look at it. Anything you feel up obsessive about purses, lipstick, dresses, whatever it is, right? And why would we drop down to that type of behavior? Because is it standing in the way of you being able to invest? Is it staying in the way of you being able to invest in the market or invest in your business? Or is it feeding your anxiety because there's other things you want to try to do that you can't do because you don't, your resources are going in this direction and now you're- exactly. Right. And you actually can do them. Right. You actually can do them. It's just that you you you're you're not allocating because you're not aware. So sometimes you feel like oftentimes my clients, you know, I say, oh, OK, well, let's look at your income and let's look at your expenses. OK, this is how much money you have left over. Right. If you lived your life exactly like this budget, this is how much money you have left over. Five hundred six. Amounts, you know, of the income in, in the income versus the expenses, there's always like this space in the middle, right, where they can decide, okay, here's what I can do with this money to grow, save, share, um, and invest. Um, lost a train of thought. So, um, that, yeah, that would be the encouragement as we relate just to really just look at the amount of money that you have available, look at the amount of things that you have available to you and how you're choosing to use that money. Um, in the corporate way um, that I'm doing it more in larger groups, right? Uh, there was a, a course that was provided by Harvard. It, it, I believe you can still take it. It's available at Coursera. And um, I was so happy to get my hands on some of the research that Harvard did as it relates to uh, you only needing to make $75,000 as an American and be happy right? This statistical data is things that I've been saying over a decade. So I am so happy that they were able to provide some research to go with the things that I had been saying to my clients all along, because now I can say, here is some proof from Harvard. I'm so happy about it. Yeah, I think I'm familiar with that research because I think what it showed is that beyond that amount, you don't become happier with the more money you make beyond that amount. No, no, you don't. You, you don't like you could make 76,000 or you could make 
you know, $376,000, you're not going to be any happier than you're at the 75. And what the 75 means is that you can have a car, a house, you know, get your hair done, you know, invest in your 401k and not really, you know, be excessively worried about money. And then what they did was they gave these behaviors that you actually need to do every single day in order to actually be happy. You know, and um, so on a cor- in a corporate way, in more in a social way, I am inserting those things, not because I do not want people to make more money. I just do not want them to um, go crazy if they don't hit this numeric dollar in the back of their mind, you know, because even when you hit that number, you're not going to be any happier. You have to have daily activity you know, that is going to allow you to have a healthy mood so that you can make healthy decisions, whether they're financial, relational, health-wise, you just gotta manage that mood in a more effective way. Now, I want you to hold that because before the end of this conversation, I want you to drop two or three of those healthy things that we should be doing daily to achieve that state. But before we get there, I wanna make another point um, that's related to your point about seeing and how important seeing is to, to making better decisions, managing stress levels and this is something i experienced personally when i won't look at it it seems a big scary thing i mean just take debt when i just know i have debt but i won't look to actually see how much it is who i owe what the interest rates are it seems like it's like the monster under the bed but when i look at it and and i've had this experience with others then you look at it and you can you can put your eyes on it and then you can say wait i could i actually can knock that out I can do it. Is, it's not as scary anymore because you're looking at it. And so many people have anxiety because they won't, they won't even look at it. They won't look at the budget. They won't, or maybe they had a job loss. They won't adjust the budget. They'll just panic or be anxious because of the lost income. When, if you look at it, you usually can figure out a way around it in the short run and often in the long run. So talk to me about that in terms of people's... Yeah, so that's that's also a very um, interesting experience. So oftentimes, a lot of my clients come to me because they want to purchase their first or second home. So um, one of the requirements for that is to have a a decent credit score, you know, typically right at that 660, 660 and above, right? And oftentimes they have like this fear of just looking at their credit. And after a decade of working uh, with individuals and looking at their credit, I am finding that what they think that it is, is not what it actually is, right? Mm -hmm. And what they're really afraid of is like, they don't know they lack the skill set on how to improve it. So it's really not so much that they're scared of looking at it. They're scared that like, if they look at it, okay, what do I do next? Right? So as soon as I get them to look at it and they see where they are and oftentimes they go, Oh, really? Right. Because they, they don't even know what the numbers really mean. Right. They don't really know that the, you know, the lowest credit score is 300, the highest is 850, you know, right. When you get at 660, that's when you can start looking, you know, looking at home ownership, if that's what your, your goal is, when, you know, you really don't want to start negotiating rates until you in that 680, 700, you know, because they don't really want to negotiate prior to that in terms of your credit score. But once they are able to have information to go with that to address that agitation, they relax because it's not so much that, okay, the number is the number, but the real fear is not 
having information about how to change it. Mm -hmm. So once you look, now you can change it. Once you look at your income, once you look at your budget, because not looking at this information will just allow you to perpetuate this cycle and it's just going to grow. So if you're, if you're, if you already have like cash flow, flow issues, you already have budget busters, the fact that you're not looking at them is just going to cause them to increase. But if you actually look, if you're already wasting $5,000, $10,000, whatever your number is, you can get a stop on it. And then you can start to do something else with that $10,000. So it's a lot about replacement behavior, looking at where you are and saying, how can I replace this? Excellent, excellent, excellent. So listen, in the time we have left, give me, I, I like two or three, but give, give me a couple of these things that we should be doing okay. today. All right, so you see how excited I get <laughs> To I make just, us happy no matter how much money we're making. <laughs> yes, right, so what, okay, you, you have to think in what the um what the science suggests is that you have to think about your happiness as if you are brushing your teeth every single day so happiness will not have any residual impact it doesn't matter what you do today it's not going to roll over to tomorrow it's just not going to happen in order to experience happiness think about it like brushing your teeth you have to do a, a few different things every single day all right right at the top of them are things that i'm sure everyone knows but once you get some statistical data to say hey listen if you do this you're going to be happier number one moving your body every single day doesn't matter if you're bodybuilding like you or if you're doing yoga like me move your body it has benefits that is going to suggest to you biologically physio physiologically that you are just going to benefit from those hormones just move your body jumping rope running dancing whatever you prefer move your body meditation meditation is highly associated with your elevation as it relates to being a happier human being operating in this space. So just sit down and quiet your mind. In this quiet, you get to detach from a lot of the chaos that you are experiencing, no matter where they're coming from, whether they're coming from your relationship or they're coming from COVID, just sitting down, right? And then sitting down will hopefully uh, escalate you to that third behavior, which is gratitude, gratitude. That's what I have a lot of my clients just grounding themselves themselves in, in gratitude. So simply just sitting down, writing a list of everything that you currently have available to you will begin to calm your mind. And what it does is suggest that if I can do this, eventually I will do this too. So simple, simple things like I can sit upright in a chair. I can breathe without pause at this moment. And the most expensive part about you is your breath in your blood. So the fact that you do not have to replace that means that you are in a good position to continue to create wealth because those two base level things, breath and blood, you're good. Wow. That is so on point. <laughs> this is Shani. I'm going to leave it there. I, mean, I knew, knew you were going to be great. That is great. Like I'm going to take that, like I always do with my guests, apply that to my own life. That is amazing. Yeah. This yeah. That once you have secured that breath and blood, everything after that, everything after that is extra. Because what I am showing, sharing with my clients, like, okay, listen, you're kind of driven because you have this income goal that you want to get to. And I want you to experience the accomplishment. Oh, one last thing. One yeah. last thing. Negative effects 
of the mind, right? Hedonistic adaptation was one of the things that the research continued to insist upon. This idea of hedonistic adaptation is basically where your mind has a negative function where it just gets bored. It gets bored. It gets bored with the job. It gets bored with the money. It gets bored with the car. It gets bored with the relationship. It gets bored with the house. It doesn't matter. After maybe about three to six months, whatever it is that you bought, it eventually starts to feel like a debt, right? It's a negative aspect of the brain. And the only way to really be able to move in the middle of this hedonistic adaptation that they're talking about that makes us consume over and over again is through gratitude, right? Because typically after you've gotten the car, the, the, the leather has worn, you know, the smell of it, the adrenaline rush is all gone. All of that is attached to hedonistic adaptation because now your brain and your body is ready for a new experience. It's just ready for a new one that and that's what kind of you know drives consumerism this hedonistic adaptation because we constantly want this you know we want this joy from getting this joy from getting this joy from the getting and thing, it's great it's thing, great the new, the new thing the latest thing the new thing the latest thing yeah, all the time all the time and it's not necessarily negative because as long as you're operating on the planet you're going to want to expand right you're going to want more muscles you're going to want another bag you're going to you're going to constant it's just constant but the only way to peacefully transition from the new income, the new body, the new budget, whatever it is, is to do so with some level of gratitude because when you get there, you won't want to get somewhere else anyway. You won't want to go somewhere else. If you go to Hawaii, soon you want to go to Fiji. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just that, you know, so you might as well not be unhappy as you make it to these different levels because you're always going to want to go to a, a, a different level that that helped me in terms of like, sometimes people feel so ungrateful. So that was kind of like a cure that, Hey, your brain is going to suggest to you over and over again, that we're kind of bored. We're ready for something else. We're ready for a new challenge. So you should recognize that that is all that it is, whether it's cash, a new apartment, a new condo, a new house, a bigger business, a new job, a new position, whatever you want to fit into the context of, you know, a desire, you're always going to want to 10x that thing, you're always going to want to. But in order to be happy as you continue to 10x the things in your life is that here's a few activities that's going to make sure that you don't attach your happiness to those things, because they're just going to be fleeting anyway, you're going to want to know critical. I mean, this current environment where some people are being pushed further away from their goal. Uh, you know, the gratitude can be the insulation. Maybe if your goal was to make 100000 a year and because of the current environment, you were furloughed or you took a pay cut or you even lost your job and you were just about to make that goal and now you're pushed back, that foundation of gratitude behavior that the meditation, it creates a foundation that insulates you because again, you're not attaching your happiness to that goal and you and you have the hope that you can still get there. You have a few steps back, but you'll get yeah. And kind of seeing your goals outside of yourself when you have a detachment from them is kind of knowing due to hedonistic adaptation, even when you make it to that particular income goal in a few months, you're going to want to get to another one, no matter what number it is, whether it's a million dollars, a bazillion dollars, whatever number it is, you're always going to want more. You're As long as you're on the planet, your desire to, you know, do better than what you you currently are doing is always going to be there. So that desire cannot be attached to your happiness because it's so fleeting. It's so fleeting. Right. And that's how you have people who have a whole bunch of stuff and are miserable. 
No, yeah, no. because because it's not going to make them happy anyway. It's just the you know it's that you don't you're you don't know that you're operating under this negative aspect of of um aspect of your mind that's suggesting hey get more get more get more pleasure get more pleasure. It's like sugar, you know. So no matter how much sugar you take in, you're still gonna want more sugar. In fact, the more sugar that you get, your sugar tolerance begins to you know increase. You know, so now it takes more sugar to fill it. That's all that's happening. But you're not more happy. You know, so it would be better if you uh, go back to um, some of the base level ways of being able to con condition your mind so that you can be in a good mood and you can make healthy decisions as it relates to your money, to the people that are um, in your world, whether they are taking insurance space with you professionally or personally, uh, take in some of those daily activities because those are going to make you way happier than the money that you are going to get. It doesn't matter the number. It doesn't matter. Any number you want, put it in there. It's not gonna make you happy. Listen, Shadi, how can the Your Money, Your Life audience get more from you? Where can they find you? I mean, you, you really dropped a whole bunch of gems now, but there's gonna be more. I know there's more you have to offer. What's the best way for people to contact and get in touch with you and follow what you're doing? Uh, the best way, I am all things purse empowerment. Anywhere that you look socially, you can connect with me there. I am always sharing these tidbits, um, tidbits to make sure that you are happier. People often ask me, why is it that, they're always asking me, why is it that um, I am so driven by such behavior um, in terms of um, inspiring people to be happy because I want to share the world with happier people. I want to share the world with happier people. That's what I, that, that is like my larger goal. That's why I like to talk about money. That's why I like to connect my clients to healthier behaviors, healthier budgets, healthier mindsets so that we can share this planet in, in the best possible way. And once we begin to kind of address some of the negative aspects of our minds, we can do that. We can be kinder to each other. We can be more patient towards each other. We can be more loving towards each other. And that's that's my goal. Now, if that's not what financial wellness is all about and the benefits of it, I don't know what it is. I think it's a perfect point to, to end our conversation. Shani, thank you again for making time to be on the show. Thank you. This episode of Your Money, Your Life is brought to you by Prudential a 50-year partner of Earl Gray Sr. and his mission of creating sustainable generational wealth in the Black community. Find out why more than 25 million people turn to Prudential for guidance in building a legacy and learn more at prudential.com forward slash legacy. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. with Black Enterprise. You've been listening to Your Money, Your Life. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.